Hey folks, welcome to uh, Liberty Online. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, I know we've got some announcements for you, some things that are coming up that uh, that you need to know about. So here they are. A hey, one way that you can partner with our community organizations, Backyard Ministries delivers to 60 homes twice a month in the Prospect neighborhood, and we're going to help assist them by continuing to collect some cookies, some fruit bars, ramen noodles, those kinds of things. You can deliver those to the airlock here at the church, and uh, they will be distributed, like I said, twice a month, along with Bible studies for the kids and adults and getting the Word of God into people's hands, as well as some encouragement through some snacks and things. If you would be willing to do that, I'd sure appreciate it. On top of that, if you would be willing or if God is pulling you into something a little more and you would like to help administrate this and be the liaison between Backyard Ministries and Liberty Grace, I'd love to hear from you so that we can talk further about our engagement in the community through Backyard Ministries. Hey everyone, we have a cold week forecast ahead, so it's a good week to get some soup to eat. And so this Thursday, February 18th, we will be having our Veracity Soup Sale. We have all different kinds of soups for you, and you can stop by the church anytime between 4 and 6 p.m. and grab some soup for carryout to take home for your dinner. All proceeds from our soup sale will go to the Veracity Momentum Fund, which I just found out this week. Uh, that there's going to be some changes to momentum this summer. We're not going to have momentum as usual, uh, but we're still trying to figure out exactly what we will be doing this summer. Uh, but just so you know, any funds will still be used for our teens and, and for something spiritually beneficial for them, whether it's another momentum type event or whether we use it for camp, uh, man wagon, or something like that. So stop by the church this Thursday, February 18th, between 4 and 6 p.m., and grab some soup for your dinner and to help our teens. Thanks. Well, we have been... Uh looking at transformational faith. And we've been doing it through the eyes of others throughout the scriptures. And, and today is going to be no different. We're going to take a look at, at another individual that, uh, that had a transformation throughout her life uh, as it pertained to Jesus. And this one is a particularly interesting one. It's not necessarily one that I wrote down uh, or had on my list originally. It's something that as I thought about it and processed what we were doing, um, it would be very unique to think about what it was like to watch Jesus and see him grow into his ministry literally uh, as his mother. And so today we're going to take a, a moment and look at what it might have been like for Mary as she watched Jesus grow up and some of the steps that that she took. And, and I kind of used three different words in my mind that she went from being a mother, someone that was a nurturer and a caregiver for the baby, Jesus, to a follower, somebody that was there during his ministry and, and then someone was there at the end for the crucifixion and resurrection and became a believer. And, and so all through her life, she knew Jesus and she loved Jesus. But how did that change over the course of time? 
So I hope that you enjoy this, this look into Mary's life. And we're going to spend the, the whole time in the book of Luke and the book of John. So we're going to start in Luke and we're going to look at the familiar passage that, uh, that announces Jesus's birth, right? That, that, that she's going to have a baby, that Mary first finds out what's going on. And it's going to be in Luke chapter one, verses 28 through 38. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. There's two things here that that as I looked at them, there's a lot of P's going to go on through this message today. And the first one is position. So so Mary has this interaction with the angel. The angel tells her you're going to have a baby. And she says, well, how's this going to be? And he says, it's going to be the son of the most high God. That's how the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and give you a child. And you will call him Jesus and he'll be the son of the most high. And we know that part of the story. And then we find Jesus uh, indwelt inside of her, literally physically born out of a virgin's womb because of the Holy Spirit's power. And Mary positions herself even before the uh, inception of this whole thing, before she conceives the baby, she positions herself as the Lord's servant. She understands the position that she holds and that that she is a servant of God and what it is that he wants, she wants. And so the first statement she says, I am the Lord's servant. And that's all about her position. She assumes the position of serving God and being open to his will for her life. Because she's positioned in such a way, then the practicality of the birth can be overcome. The the position is that I am the Lord's servant. I am a vessel. I am I am his to be used. And so practically speaking, when the Holy Spirit overwhelms her and she conceives the child, she's practically ready for that as well, because she's assumed the position of a servant. And she's willing 
to be transformed. She's willing to be used. And that's something that's very critical in your life today. What position are you standing in? As we start this message, where are you positioned? Or do you understand that, that God is working his will out for his good and the purposes of eternity? And practically speaking, all of the things that happen in our life can be overcome if we rely on our position. Because our position is that of a servant of a God that knows more and better what is good for us. The practical doesn't have to always make sense. Doesn't always have to, to be of our orchestration. Our position allows us to be drawn into the practical nature of our lives to do what it is that God wants us to be willing to be transformed into his image a little more. So Jesus is born. You know, we've had this interaction with an angel and Mary, and she has positioned herself for the practical outcome that she's going to be pregnant. And then Jesus is born. And as you slide down through Luke chapter two, if you get to Luke chapter two, verses 16 to 19, the angels have already announced the birth to the shepherds and Jesus has been born in a stable in, in the manger, just as he was prophesied to be. And the shepherds in their excitement are now visiting Mary and the baby Jesus. And so this is a, this is the next step. She's a servant. She's willing to be transformed. She is going to be the mother of Jesus. So Luke chapter two, verses 16 to 19, the shepherds have heard what the angels have wanted to say. And they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. So here Mary now understands even more completely in a practical sense what being the mother of the son of the most high is going to look like. The very night that he is born, angels burst onto the scene, talk to the shepherds, and then the shepherds come to see that which God has done and told them about. So these shepherds show up and they, they tell Mary, they tell Joseph, that they tell everybody that'll listen all of the incredible things that have happened in this night. And so Mary now as a mother has to try to get her arms around what these men are saying of her little boy. As a mother, she treasures and ponders all of the things that are going on. She ponders them deep in her heart. She's weighing them out. First, that, that angels visited the shepherds about the birth of her son. Then 
these shepherds show up and they're telling everybody the story of how this little child will bring great joy, right? And, and will be good news to the people. He will be the savior and Lord. And they're using words that, that apply to the baby Jesus and his mother is soaking all of these in because she knows that Jesus is, is an instrument of God and she has been chosen to deliver this baby and she will be his mother through this whole process. And what does it mean to be the mother of God, the Savior, the Lord? And she's, she's pondering all this stuff. She's probably overwhelmed. She remembers the visit of the angel originally. She's taking it all in and processing it, weighing it out in her own way. The angels called her son Savior and Lord. It's a, it's a pretty impressive moment for a mother to be in such stark surroundings and not even a place to stay, right? No room at the inn, but yet celebrated by angels and the people of God all around her. That mother is being transformed because remember, she was willing to be transformed. She took the position of a servant and said, may it be to me as you have said, she has entered practically into the plan of God. Now, Jesus grows up he he is a, a normal boy right and we only we don't have a whole lot of information about Jesus's childhood but we do have at least one story where we see him kind of be an all boy where he gets lost at the temple right so Jesus is about 12 years old and he is left in Jerusalem because Mary and Joseph and everyone else had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And as they were leaving Jerusalem to travel home, Jesus stayed behind and they travel for an entire day before they realize that Jesus is still back in Jerusalem. And so here this 12 year old boy is now in the temple, surrounded by teachers of the law and they have to go back and they have to find him and they search for a couple of days until they find him. And this story is in Luke chapter two, verses 46 to 52. So Mary would have realized Jesus is gone. They've traveled a day's journey already away from Jerusalem. They've got to go back. They search for three days to find him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart 
And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Here is a mother who had to search for days to find her son. I'm sure she was panicked as a mother could only be. You know, I've had this this picture in my head and I know that it happened to Kay at least one time in the grocery store when Maddie was younger. She was pushing the cart. Kay turns to look at something in one of the aisles, picked something off the shelf, turns back around and Maddie was gone. She had gone out of the aisle and around the corner pushing the cart. She wasn't doing anything to be mean. She thought her mother was right behind her. But the fear and the panic that Kay even talks about today that was welled up in her from that moment, that's a mother's love. As a mother loves her son and searches for her, and then to have Jesus look at her and say, why are you searching for me? Don't you know I had to be in my father's house The stark reality there is that, yes, Mary is mother, but God is father. Remember, the the nature of the relationship is, is only in one story throughout all of history, and that is in Jesus's birth, that he is completely man and completely God. Because he was conceived in a woman's womb physically, but by supernatural power from God. And so this story is the perfect illustration of Jesus seeking out his father's will. And his mother not quite understanding yet humanly what it is that Jesus is here to do and what it is that he needs to do. Why search? Because It's a reminder that, that yes, you're my son, Mary says. And it says they went back to Nazareth and he was obedient to his mother and his father there, earthly speaking. He was a good boy. But they also knew, Mary specifically here, his mother treasured these things in her heart because, again, she was reminded in this journey, this transformation that Jesus belongs to God. He's his son as much as he is Mary's son. And that transformation continues to go forward in Mary's mind as she treasures up for a second time an interaction involving her son and the God of the universe. Jesus also in this moment is fully aware of who he is. That's the pretty cool part, right? He knows who his father is and he knows what he's supposed to be doing already at 12 years And that's something that's very difficult to to understand as a parent. As a a father, I I can't believe that that a 12-year-old would be so in tune with who he is as Jesus was. But then again, my kids weren't weren't half or weren't fully God and fully man. They They weren't that way. Only one ever was. And Jesus knew exactly who he was and who he had to be serving in his father's will. So 
Jesus has not even begun his ministry. We're going to skip forward from 12 to around 30 years of age in Jesus's life. And Mary is going to have another interaction with her son. Whatever happens in that segment of time, Mary Mary becomes a, a follower of Jesus of sorts, an understander, a deeper relator to who he is. And so in John chapter two, we see this, this story that we don't quite understand. Jesus hasn't begun his ministry, but his mother has some kind of faith in who he is. Remember, she's treasured up all of the things the angel said. She's treasured up what Jesus has said in the temple courts. And now they're, they're at a wedding. And so this is the first miracle that Jesus performs in John chapter two, verses one through five. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This is a really interesting interaction between mother and son. It's the kind of interaction that if, that if you have a mother that believes in your abilities, you've been through. Where you, you show up to an environment where, where you feel unfit to be in or prepared to be in, but your mother has more confidence in your abilities than you do. And so Jesus is saying, my time has not yet come. Why do you involve me? What do you, why am I here talking about wine? And his mother says to him, do whatever, do whatever you need to do. Jesus, we know, has them fill up these large water jars and then serve that water to the man in charge of the wedding. And it is the best wine that they have served in the entire celebration. And Jesus had turned water into wine. His mother somehow along this Way had gone from treasuring up and pondering things in her heart to faith that Jesus was somebody special. If you're like me, I, I, I roll things around in my head all the time because I want to know deeper meanings to things and understand them. And I really want to know what happened from that moment in the temple when he was 12 Till this time when he's around 30 and his mother has gone from searching for him to believing in him, to having a faith in her son that he is somebody that is going to do great things, that she understands he can intervene in this moment even and help this wedding out. She knew her son. She believed in him and now she would have to choose to follow him. 
As she illustrated here, she believed completely in his abilities. She would wind up following him and, and follow him all the way to Calvary. We see a group of women follow Jesus throughout his earthly ministry from this point all the way to Calvary. There's a group of women that are that are following him uh, in full belief of who he is. And we see them uh, as he is brought right up to the point of his purpose. And see, he had already told his mother at the ceremony, at the, at the celebration of the wedding, that it was not yet his time. But now she knows after following through his ministry for the next three years, following him on his journey, listening to him teach, watching him perform miracles, growing in full belief of who he was right up until his ultimate purpose at the cross. And so Mary again was there at the birth, right? His mother cradling him in her arms. She was there when he performed his first miracle. She believed in him and she, she would follow him through his ministry where he went and what he did, and she would find herself in John chapter 19 at the foot of the cross. Having been transformed from mother to follower to believer. John chapter 19 verses 25 to 27. Near the cross stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, this is a pretty beautiful picture, a mother who had cared for a son all through his life from beginning to end, from from birth till death on the cross, from mother to follower to believer. And Jesus takes this moment while on the cross. He looks down, sees his mother. He's on the cross for eternity's sake, for you and for me. He's on the cross and he takes that moment in reality to speak deeply into his mother's pain and reality. So Jesus is on the cross for eternity's sake, but he has not removed himself from the earthly reality that his mother is right there and needs taken care of taken care of as only a son can. He looks at his mother and says, Mother, this is your son. And, and he's 
looking at John, the disciple whom he loved. And he says to John, John, now this is your mother. He's saying, I need you to take care of each other. I am going to die on this cross for eternity's sake. But in reality, you're going to have to go on and I want to take care of you. It's a pretty amazing picture from her vantage point to see a son and a savior, one that cares for her reality here on earth as a son would, but also as a savior that set her eternity apart from anyone else's. For you and for me, eternity was secured. But for her, it was a special thing that her son and her savior become this embodiment on the cross from mother to follower to believer in who her son was. It's a true picture of how reality and eternity are commingled for us in our lives. You can't separate them. For Jesus, the reality was that his mother was here and she was hurting, but eternity needed to be reconciled to God. And all of that was going to happen in that moment. They're commingled in every one of our lives as well. As Mary and John become mother and son in reality, and yet they are, they are saved that day by the blood of the cross. In this life, for us, as you look at this picture through a mother's eyes, as a follower's eyes, through to a believer in who Jesus was, She had been lifted from reality to eternity right there in that moment. She had to believe that her son was securing eternity. For us, the illustration and what I want you to think about this week. What you believe about eternity will affect how you live in reality. Her, his mother and John in reality would go and tell others about Jesus and about how he secured eternity and all of the teachings that he had, how they lived out their life was based upon what they thought about eternity. What you believe about eternity will affect how you live in reality. And how you live in reality, in your everyday life, will affect someone else's view of eternity. How you go about your day, what it is you talk about and live out in your life, the way that you love people that you come into contact with. That will tell them what you believe about eternity. That will change someone else's eternity, possibly. What you believe about eternity will affect how you live in reality. Your view of eternal things affects your everyday living. And your everyday living and breathing and going to work and doing the things that we do may just affect someone else's eternity. 
The opportunity that we have again, like we talked about last week, to be Christ's ambassadors. As we've talked about this whole series, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Folks, we've been in a tumultuous time of pain and grief and turmoil, but we don't have to live that way because we serve a God that understood how to care for reality while taking care of and focusing on eternity. By loving people through their circumstances, by forgiving people, by walking hand in hand through the burdens that we carry in this world. So this week, I want you to think, what am I doing in my reality? How am I living out in my everyday life what I believe about eternity? Do I trust that God has my back? That just as Jesus looked down off the cross and cared for his Mother and his disciple, Jesus saw you as well and cares for you, not only in eternity, but here presently in what you're going through. And you have an opportunity to believe that, that Jesus loves you, and you can tell other people that by the way you live your life. I hope that that encourages your heart. I pray that it puts some things into perspective for you. I hope that you'll read through the story of Mary and, and listen to what it is that, that, that the word says about her love for her son and her son for her. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be drawn into these pictures of your grace for the commingling of reality and eternity. Whenever we come to know you, Jesus, we're not automatically pulled out of our reality, but we get to walk in our reality with you, knowing that eternity is secure and that you and your grace are sufficient for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that every day. That as we wake up tomorrow, that we understand that your grace is sufficient for today, regardless of the reality I find myself in. And ultimately, the prize will be eternity in which we will get to spend it with you forever and ever in your presence. Father, thank you for loving us in Jesus name. Amen.